0: Today on the All You Need to Know About Human Physiology podcast, we will be covering the major concepts of the importance of membrane potentials to neurons, muscles and other cells, the significance and how to use the GHK and Nernst equations, how they are related, describe and compare graded and action potentials, including action potential propagation, and how graded and action potentials combine with synaptic integration for sing- signaling and learning and memory. We did go over membrane potentials and the NERDS and GHA, GHK equations last week, but we will still do a review of them this week, as the information is still very pertinent. Okay, so let's get started. Why are membrane potentials important? The concentration of ions and charges of these ions plays an immense role in how cells are able to get the nutrients they need. Additionally, our nervous system is only able to function as a result of membrane potentials and the interactions between neurons. For example, glial cells are able to support the neuron bodies, form myelin, form barriers, and act as defense or metabolic assistance. In order for these cells to work, a series of events within our neurons occurs. For example, as shown on slide 79, we see that chloride concentration is higher outside the cell, so chloride wants to move from high to low concentration. However, due to the negatively charged proteins inside the cell, there are two forces working in opposition, the chemical and electrical gradients. Is there a way we can find how the ions will move with two opposing forces? Yes we can use the Nernst and GHK equations. The Nernst equation is written as follows. E ion equals 61 over Z times the log of the concentration of the ion outside of the cell over the concentration of the ion inside the cell. Now, that may seem like an extensively long equation and just a bunch of numbers and letters, but it is essential to know. Some tips for remembering this this equation include to remember Out goes over in. If you remember the two O's, you will be set with when using this equation. What this equation tells us is the equilibrium potential for a specific ion, so we then can relate that to the membrane potential. But why do we care about equilibrium potential? As Meyer relays, the equilibrium potential can then be used in the GHK equation in order to compare permeabilities. If permeability to an ion increases, the membrane potential will move towards that equilibrium potential. Okay, question time. If the cell's permeability to potassium increases, will the membrane depolarize or hyperpolarize? Yes, you are correct. The membrane potential will hyperpolarize because potassium will be leaving the cell and potassium has a positive charge. Next, let's talk about graded potentials because this discussion will be paramount to our discussion later. What are graded potentials? How are they different from action potentials? I will give you a second to brainstorm some ideas. Okay, let's see if we came up with a similar list. Graded potentials have the amplitude of their strength decrease as distance from the stimulus increases, as shown by Meyer on slide 109. Action potentials have a constant amplitude, and they also require a change in voltage due to voltage-gated ion channels opening. Graded potentials do not require a voltage-gated ion and are instead stimulated by ligand binding, kind of like acetylcholine binding to a receptor. Now, going off of that, we have another question. Would acetylcholine binding to a receptor cause a change in voltage of a membrane? Exactly. Yes, they would, but it would not yield as much of a change to the membrane potential as a voltage-gated ion channel brings, like sodium or potassium. A helpful way that I remember the differences between graded and action potentials is that I think of my grades in school. They can be up, down, and they change a lot. Action potentials display an all or none behavior as Meyer relays. So you can think of them like a stubborn person who refuses to change their actions, so amplitude remains constant. Why don't we look more closely into action potentials? The action potential has a series of important points to remember. The action potential consists of initiation, depolarization, signal peak, repolarization, and after repolarization, as Meyer explains. Initiation begins with graded potentials, as mentioned before. Next, depolarization an increase in the membrane potential occurs when voltage-gated sodium ion channels open, and they are soon inactivated at the peak in order to prevent backflow of the action potential. As Meyer continues, After the peak, potassium ion channels open, allowing potassium to flow out, hyperpolarizing the membrane, and eventually leading to a refractory period, uh, like we were saying before. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So my question is, where is the permeability to sodium ion channels the greatest during an action potential? Yes, at the peak because that is where the most voltage-gated sodium ion channels are open leading to the greatest depolarization of the membrane. Continuing on from that point, Meyer notes that channel opening and closing is probabilistic. This essentially means that a channel will open more the more it is depolarized. On slide 33 we are able to see the three rules of the sodium ion channels. One, the membrane potential depolarizes when sodium ion channels are open, two, they only stay open for a very short amount of time, and three, they inactivate after opening, as Meyer relays. Overall, what you need to remember is that action potentials cannot propagate to completion without the passive spread of graded potentials that allows the threshold to first be met. This then results in a series of events including depolarization, inactivation, and then repolarization of the action potential due to the impact of current flow as shown on slide 42. Let's now move on to our next topic of myelination. Myelination allows for increased and faster conduction to be met due to saltatory conduction that requires less energy, as Meyer says. The myelin is like a cushion for the neuron, allowing for less leakage and increased speed so that the graded potentials can travel to the nodes of Ranvier. Question time, true or false? The node spacing is optimized to decrease speed and reduce failure. Yes, false. The nodes are placed strategically so that the space between the nodes increases the speed of the action potential and reduces failure, allowing for the action potential to continue to move from node to node, noted by Meyer. Now, as you all know, there are electrical and chemical synapses, Electrical synapses have fast conduction and include gap junctions, while chemical synapses are like neuromuscular junctions, as Meyer explains. As we look at synapse mechanisms, we see that we have a new kind of voltage-gated ion channel, the calcium ion channel. The mechanism for this can be remembered by DESYNT. D stands for depolarization of the action potential of the axon terminal, C stands for voltage-gated calcium channels opening, E stands for exocytosis of neurotransmitters, and N stands for neurotransmitters diffusing and binding to receptors, as shown on slide 59. Question time. What are examples of excitatory neurotransmitters? Yes, glutamate and acetylcholine are examples. Meyer explains that excitatory neurotransmitters lead to depolarization, while inhibitory neurotransmitters lead to hyperpolarization of the membrane potential, as shown on slide 60. Moving on, I just wanted to touch a bit on norepinephrine and epinephrine. Epinephrine is a hormone, and norepinephrine is a neurotransmitter, as Dr. Meyer states. When there is a higher affinity for norepinephrine compared to epinephrine, we will see a decrease in cyclic AMP levels. Conversely, when we have equal affinities or increased affinity towards epinephrine, we will have beta receptors being activated, which leads to an increase in cyclic AMP levels, as seen on slide 65. Question time. Say you had a beta receptor and you saw decreased affinity of cyclic AMP, would that happen? No, exactly, that's kind of a trick question because when we see decreased cyclic AMP levels, we would have alpha receptors. Now, we know how neurotransmission neurotransmi- is activated, so let us look to how we can inactivate neurotransmission. There are three ways to do this, and we can think of the mnemonic get rid, for getting rid of neurotransmission. R is for neurotransmitters being recycled. I is for inactivation of neurotransmitters through enzymes. And D is for diffusion of neurotransmitters away from a point of origin, like into the blood. Now, let's talk about integration of signals. When we have signal integration, there can be divergent or convergent pathways. Divergent pathways show branching of one synaptic neuron to affect a great amount of postsynaptic neurons. Convergence is shown when multiple neurons come together, as shown on slide 73. Question time What is additive summation? Yes. Additive summation occurs when signals come together to result in a stronger stimulus, allowing for an action potential to be more likely to occur, as shown on slide 79. Now, let's talk a little bit about learning and memory and how our last discussion of integration plays a role in this process. The process of learning and memory occurs through what Dr. Meyer calls a coincidence detector. On slide 90, we see that when glutamate is released from the presynaptic cleft, it binds to AMPA and NMDA receptors on the postsynaptic membrane. Glutamate binding to AMPA results in sodium coming into the cell, leading to depolarization of the membrane. As a result of this depolarization, NMDA receptors are now activated as both glutamate binding and depolarization are needed. This then leads to calcium entering the cell, as Meyer relays. Calcium then can act as a second messenger and act on the presynaptic cell, triggering increased glutamate release due to its paracrine mechanism, as Meyer shows. When both of these mechanisms occur together, Meyer relays that this is called associative memory. Our last topic for today's podcast will cover a little bit about frequency coding. Frequency coding shows that a stronger stimulus can result in an increased frequency of action potentials, leading to an increased amount of neurotransmitters released, as shown on slide 98. Meyer relays that this results in an increased firing rate as well. One last question. Is neurotransmitter release proportional to graded potential amplitude or action potential rate? That was kind of a trick question because it is proportional to both. If you have increased amplitude or increased rate of firing, you will see an increase in neurotransmitter release in both ways. So, That's all for today. I hope you learned something about the importance of membrane potentials to neurons, muscles, and other cells, the significance and how to use the GHK and Nernst equations, and how they are related. Describe and compare graded and action potentials, including action potential propagation, and how graded and action potentials combine with synaptic integration for signaling and learning and memory. See you next week for a further discussion about the nervous system, All of the information today was brought to you by lectures titled Bio 3200-ML02-121 and Bio 3200-ML03-128 by Dr. Karen Meyer. Let me know if you have any other questions and have a great rest of your day.